If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to dm to gm This is the place where we answer your questions and help you feel more comfortable playing games at your table. I'm your DM from Dungeons & Dragons, Russ Moore. And I'm your GM, Sean Howard, from The End of Time and Other Bothers. And today we have a lovely question from one of our listeners, Andreas Josephson. Hopefully I pronounced that right. That sounded pretty uh, good. Andreas? I think it's, I think it's pretty close. Um, in their question... Uh, they sent us a lovely email talking about uh, a lot of their game and what they've got going on in their world. But the big question that it comes from is um, having an episode dedicated to shared world creation or in the game that they use, Dungeon World, uh, it's called The Perilous Wilds. Um, but yeah, well, we're going to focus on building a game and it could be with a few different games that we've played, um, building a world together with your players at the same time. Andreas was basically talking about an add-on to Dungeon World called The Perilous Wilds. Uh, I don't have that. Um, but Andreas was also talking about this idea of fronts in Dungeon World as a way, as a, as a GM. It's what Dungeon World recommends as a GM for a way to create the, the forces in the world and sort of what what they want like you know what i mean like the 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 future threats that are coming and there's a way that it breaks them down um i have not i think when i first started using dungeon world i played around with using their template but sean doesn't like templates or structure so i didn't (laughs) choose to use the fronts um i recently ran a monster of the week campaign for the first time and uh Basically, a uh, big shout out to Crit Show, which I've been listening to, which sort of gave me a little more familiarity with Monster of the Week. They have a system in that game, which is a, a simplified way of setting like a threat level, right? Like you're starting in step stage one and you go to like stage whatever. And I think it's like it's all tracking the sun, like from, you know, sunrise to sunset, right. uh, which I I did use, right? This idea of sort of thinking through big picture, how how are you going to escalate this simple mystery? All of which is just a setup for, I think, there are a lot of tools out there for world building. And, and what I like about this question specifically is when we often talk about world building, I think it's easy for a new DM or GM to think we're talking about maps, cities, lore, gods because there are tons of people in our community with tons of videos talking about all the elements you can break down around world building right like class structure hierarchy racism language um what doesn't often get as much attention when you think about world building is threats and and what how what the terminology i use from improv is how do you escalate the story like, how do you escalate the situations? 
So I thought this was a nice setup. This is a very long preamble. Sorry, Russ. It's no, a really nice okay. setup from Andreas to say, you know, how do we approach world building from a a sort of what forces are active in the world? What are the threats? What are the machinations that are going to um, impact when we talk about our arc in the world, right? When we talk about, right? Like you right. talk about, you know what your overall, I forget what the words you use, structure is of your of your story. Sure, yeah. Right? So what, but but there's, you don't, you can't guarantee that that's how it's going to go, right? Yeah, the decisions that your players make along the way are going to change or alter that path, right? Like you, you think of it like, like, you know, the flash time streams, right? Like you make one decision, now you're over here with, you know, future world flash and you make one here and you're in past world flash. Like um, all of the decisions affect the king and the king's guard. They affect the mercenaries that you dealt with. They affect everything. Um, so yeah, knowing what all of those are, it's that's a great, and I mean, it's something that I've, I've done, but not so explicitly knowing that that's what I was doing. Um, so putting that name to them is just um, addressing all of the big players and all of the big threats and all of the things that you're, you're, you could run into throughout the course of your campaign. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a common thing I see with new GMs or DMs is there are so many parts of your world building that you can just define once coming up with a tier of your what are who are the gods in your world coming up with the uh the cursing how cursing happens in your world uh coming up with uh the towns and cities and maps in your world coming up with the races that exist in your world coming up with the history of your world like right a bible of all the history of what's happened you know leading up to this these are all really fun things to dig in on a world building. You can dig into them as little or as much as is pertinent for you and your game and your table. But all of those things are relatively, until you get into time travel, which happens to all of us, uh, all of <laughs> yeah. those things are are locked. Like they're locked, right? They are defined, one, they're defined once. And maybe your player kills a god, but that god still has the same name. You've still got the, you know, you've defined who that god is. But that's a future, that's a future event though. That's changing right. your your arc, not not something yeah. that you're setting up. And and so the the challenge is it's really easy I think as a GM or DM to to have these pages and pages of notes and then suddenly find yourself in a bit of a struggling situation right it's a little scary when you're like well I wrote out all this stuff for this first episode because this is how the story's going to go but the players on decision 2 broke my world right yeah and yeah. there's often an an impetus in that moment to to go into God mode or to not allow them to make their decision or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I think it's partly because we don't talk a lot about these forces in the world. You know, I think, I think that this is a really fun way to think about. So I, I don't, and I'm trying to figure out how I define it other than just in my head, but like, what are the tools Russ, you use to sort of understand the the forces that are actively they're they're agents like they are active agents in your world that you're also trying to figure out and learn from gameplay what they're going to do in your world yeah um it's a uh, yeah it's a very interesting question um so within our world we have two different stories going on that are concurrently happening um when they start in the same timeline 
Okay. The the low level characters are interacting with the world on a on a macro level, like a day to day level, because they don't have the the renown or the power or the, anything like that. So they're dealing with your bakers, your 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 local sheriffs, yep. your that sort of thing. Um, the high level characters are working with basically everybody. If anybody has any say whatsoever, they can just go knock on their door and find out who that is. So it's for me, it's finding. I don't even know if this is going to answer the question. For me, it's finding is creating those through lines and those mentions and those one offs and, you know, wanted posters and that sort of thing uh, to bring together the idea that um, what the what the low level characters are seeing is is possibly or probably in direct relation to high level things that are happening elsewhere. Like from yeah. So when you started, you had just the what are now the high level characters just going through a simple a simple arc, right? Uh, not simple, but yeah, like, they were on a journey. They had one mission that they kept never there, getting to. There was the main goal at the end of the tunnel. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah. So you had this idea, and you sort of knew who the big the big big threat was, and who who in your world was in support of that threat that yeah. the players may not know were in support. Right? You had this like kind of thing, political, um, and. And now you're in a situation where you're running two campaigns in that same world in the same timeline. And that that's like an advanced thing because that requires you to have a world where you somehow intrinsically know the forces that are at play and how the fun you get to have, I think, in that situation is how do low-level characters that are just living in a – like basically visiting a village and meeting a baker – how do they feel the repercussions of what's happening in the the other time, right? The other the other storyline. Yeah, that's probably yeah. what I was trying to say, but just kept talking yeah. until eventually I hit. <laughs> it's okay. Something. It's good. But yeah. like, but this is like inherently this is a a interesting idea. If you just sit down and start building a world, it's really easy because everything is defined, 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 defined. Then you get to story, and it's like. What do you define? If you just start writing out the story, that's great for a book, yeah. but you're it's not going to really help your table unless you're trying to write the history, yeah. right, of the world, which can be fun. So um I use I use no cards for everything. Um and Andreas was raising the idea of fronts and dungeon world and there are there are other game systems that have come since D&D that have tried to introduce other ways of trying to sort of capture, right? Um this idea, which I'll, I'll talk about fellowship in a minute and how they do it. So, but in in my game, whether it's D anD D or the, the systems I'm very familiar with, uh, I will use no cards, and I turn no cards one of two directions. And in the horizontal landscape way, they're they're generally just um, things you might have to engage with, or you know, like guards or monsters or whatever. And then in the sort of vertical portrait mode. Uh, they are, they are, I don't like to say NPCs because they are, they are, I'm trying to bring them to life. They are real characters. So uh, they have motivations. They have needs. Um, I've sort of come up with like a shorthand for how to capture that. But the idea being that they are often powerful in the world. And I want, I want the players to realize that. So that means they're up to things, right? They have something they want to accomplish that can 
sometimes be aligned with the players and then can switch to being in conflict with the players. So they're like a force. And and some of them are despicable. They will stop at nothing to get what they want, right? Yeah. And so that's a very different thing to create than, right, than just a... Yeah, you're a list of bullets. Yeah, you're yeah, you're create you're you know, you're creating those forces and giving them um, giving them rules and tactics and motivations within the worlds that affect your characters as they go through their individual arc. Right. Like, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I take. So how do you capture like how do you like how in your head do you let's not take the example you talked about. Um, They meet a baker. Yeah. now, you can always later call back to make the baker be something more. But how do you differentiate <laughs> between just a right a oh I'm going to stop and get some lunch interaction from like who's actively working with or for the players in the world? Do you know what I mean? Like as yeah. a force? Um, yeah, I mean you could give that you could give that baker um, or that that character, however you want to put it, you could give that person that they're interacting with um maybe something big just happened like throughout our first arc of dungeons and dragons they're trying to stop the the cult of the dragon and the cult was like huge presence throughout the entire realm basically um you could have something have just happened or happened in a neighboring city and they're talking about it as they enter this bakery um, with one of the other npcs oh the cult's you know, we got to batten down the hatches. We got to stop them or find someone to stop them, give them presence to um, address a problem that's happening in the world that's not directly seen by um, by the characters as they're going through. Alternatively, you could have them enter that same bakery and have them quickly cover something up. Maybe it's... Right. Yeah, maybe... Yeah. But, maybe but I want to know... No, Sorry, I'm I just want to know, like, question. no, no, you're not. It's okay. That's all right. <laughs> like, this is hard because yeah. I think you and I intrinsically are working with a fluid world where the players have agency and there are consequences to what they do. Yes. Right. So I think that's an important thing to talk about, but um, because you and I don't have a defined tool. We're using like fronts or whatever. I'm just interested in when you're preparing or when you're laying out, you know, uh, uh, your notes for a coming episode. Yeah. Do you differentiate between somehow on paper or, you know what I mean? Do you treat the, the baker who has no role to play in the story that you know of right now differently from uh, the, the person who is now trying to bring Tiamat back because that should happen, right. by the way, putting that out there now. Um, hashtag bring Tiamat back. <laughs> yeah, hashtag bring Tiamat back. Um, okay. I I think I follow what you're saying now. Probably not, but I'll try anyways. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Okay. So yes, if, if they need to run into, no, no, I don't. Um, so yeah. what I do is I write, I write down, the idea that they need to get out of the session. I don't attach it to a player or a, or a character or anything like that. I write down what they're, what the, I need them to stumble across or find throughout their own volition. Um, 
and then it's like the, it's the ball cup game. It's the moving hats. If they're if it makes sense to give that baker that piece of information in that moment, then that baker can have that piece of information. But if right. it doesn't make sense for that baker to know why the king is assassinated and that sort of thing, it yep. can just be like, oh yeah, it's king. King Dopesy Dope, he's, uh, you know, he was a great king. Wish he's still here. That's all I know. So that's like where, so that's how I think some of your um, most iconic NPCs on Dungeons, it sounds like some of them came from small beginnings. Like they came from just being X. They just walked on, walked on stage and said, here I am now. And I have this information for you. <laughs> and and something happened in the interaction, though, that led them to becoming reoccurring character, right? Exactly. Whereas yeah. there's been other NPCs that have played that role that didn't do that, right? Yeah. Like one of yeah, one, I'm following. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, one of one of the characters, Flamekins, big big character yeah. in Dungeons. Everybody loves her. She's great. Um, her backstory is brilliant, by the way. So good. You should check it out. <laughs> um, Sean's just like hashtag Sean backpatting. That's will be this whole episode. Yeah. Okay. So the the players were interacting with a, a town leader, um, yeah. who and they were trying to figure out some cult cult goings on. And then Flamekins walks in as a page, as a you know a, somebody just organizing files, just having fun. Could have been a five second character, but then walks out, and they figure that because there's a connection there, they probably know information. So followed them, and then that piece of information that I said, you know, well, this town ruler has some sketchy things happening. Why wouldn't it be the page, right? Why wouldn't it be the that next person who walked in with the stack of papers? And it just so happened that it was that character at that moment, and then gave them that information. They could tag along for a little while and then become something bigger and greater, and you can evolve them out as you go. Yeah. So what I like about this conversation is you don't have to have a system for fronts or, uh, but, but I do think every GM or DM does need to figure out how you create a fluid story. Um, because that's the hard part. Um, you it's right. When every other tool is written down and defined. So, so different gaming systems have put forward different systems to try and just write down what you can define about a conflict or a motivation, right? But, but you can do it a lot of different ways. Um, so, um, and it sounds like you and I are both in similar, we sort of know the motivations of some key players in the world. Right. Um, so um, I use a tool called Escalation. So if I'm in a story moment, and we talked about this in an earlier episode where I'll cut out a battle to escalate. Like you can you can escalate anything. Like you could take you can take a boss battle and you could you can escalate that. Um and and, and interestingly, you escalate a battle by leaving the battle. Yeah. Um which we can dig into if we want to. But uh I use a term called escalation because like if the if the story's starting to drag and the players don't know where to go, um as a GM, you're like, well, maybe I just give them the information, which is an option, but you can also just escalate the situation, which we've talked about in the past, which is make it worse and then make it more worse and keep making it worse until there's a way out, right? Like something is forced out. And the way to escalate is to often ask yourself who needs something from the players, who, who is upset, uh, who has a vendetta here? Um, who who has done who 
who have we not, or in worst case, who have we not heard from for a long time? Because they've had a lot of time to prepare something. So it could be out from left field that we don't see at all related to the current story. But you're like, we're stuck here. I don't know where to go. So you can bring in a callback to an old storyline. Yeah, this bad bad individual who's been harboring this resentment for these characters and then bring them in. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, there are some... And and I think he said it. You know, this isn't necessarily outlined in D and D or those the style no. of games. Um, but there are games that do allow that and outline that. And you know, you've got yes. one. I've I've had a couple experiences with some others. But yeah, which one do you have? We started playing Fellowship at with Civilized, and uh, it is a very strange Power by the Apocalypse game. Uh, it says second edition, but it really feels like a point five edition. There's some issues, but Super fun. And the basic idea is the GM is not really a GM. They're called the Overlord, so they're more of a player. But really, they're just a GM. But anyways, uh, one of the interesting ideas is to um, is basically, I think we're seeing a lot of games that are trying to step in and answer this question, right? Like, how do you, how do you capture and how do you help GMs um, find the motivation and find the story drivers. So uh, it, for for Fellowship, they basically call it the agenda for the Overlord. And so there are actual moves, like Powered by the Apocalypse moves. When you level up uh, or when a player does a certain thing, uh, the Overlord can actually um, move an agenda forward. So an agenda might be, let's go to like, I don't know, classic fantasy. Uh, Basically, the Overlord wants to acquire the places of power so they can move to the next step on on their plan. And they could be big steps. So it could go from, you know, trying to find the ring of the something of the elves. And then next step is they besiege the city. And next step is they, they have the ring. And the next step is they, they, uh, the elves are no more. Like they can be big moves in the game. And the idea, but it's interesting that they've gamified it in that they're like, try to gamify it to go, you know, you can, if this happens from a player, you can advance one of your um, agenda and you can also claim a new agenda. Like you can start a new front. So it's sort of this idea of escalation, right? Like you can actually make the players feel like the overlord in this case is just unstoppable right they've moved that forward now they're also hearing rumors that this is happening in another kingdom uh it's that idea right so they've just quantified it somehow yeah weird that, rules that's awesome and it reminds me of a couple of games that i've played urban shadows is one of them hmm. um they have a very similar mechanic uh they call threats and storms so hmm. um so the threats are are the immediate things that your players are probably going to be interacting with. But surrounding these threats is this storm that's that's churning. And every time you either succeed or fail on something, it moves the storm ahead, uh, which is the grander uh, focus in the world. You know, the, the mob boss or the police force or whatever is moving beyond. But you keep ticking that up every time they they succeed or fail. Sometimes, sometimes a fail can tick it up like twice within the world. So you kind of outline what happens at each of these different stages and then move it forward. And then that affects the world around them. And then the other one was, uh, was very similar mechanic blades in the dark, which is, uh, another powered by the apocalypse one, um, which they use clocks. So they have like, as a game master, you have this sheet of different clocks that are happening. So 
your players have their goal. They have to, you know, get into this place and steal this thing. So they have a clock for that. But simultaneously, as your as your game master, you're running clocks for maybe when the security guards are going to find you, or you know, clocks for once that triggers, maybe when the police show up. Clocks for so you just keep. It's a lot. To, you kind of have to keep moving, but it's the, the thought of all of these external forces affecting the story that aren't directly linked immediately to the players in the game and that they can affect that, like, you know, butterfly wing ripple out uh, to create a larger world that affects them on a on a grander scale as they're going through that can make it better or worse for them as they go. Yeah. So this was actually a really great conversation because, you know, I think if you're out there and you're like, you have a table or you're thinking of starting a table, but this has been a stumbling block, like, oh, like, uh, how do I tell, how do I create like such a compelling moving story? Um, Here's the real nugget of it. You don't need a system. Uh, Dungeons and the end of time and other bothers and other games that Russ and I run um, are able, I think, to achieve like an intricate political storylines and other things happening, or at least for the players at the table, a fun experience that feels like they have the ability to change the world without a like a quantified written down system. Yeah. It's totally possible. And it's not some magic power. It's just, it's just, it's just literally about like, it. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Russ going, well, this is the piece of information I have. And Oh, this character is now fun, right? This character is yeah. now a recurring storyline. Exactly. The players have latched onto this moment, right? So just use yep. that as your as your escalation or as mm-hmm. your ability to drive the plot forward. Absolutely. Or or me, I've got like cards of players in the world and they all have something they want or need and that can change and that's how I can always just pull one of those back. I can be like, "Hey, we haven't heard from so and so in a long time." Um uh, challenged by the fact that I keep jumping in time and losing access to people. That's but, fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's another t- a simple way you can do it. And um, there's probably others. But also, don't be afraid of looking at some of these other systems out there and stealing one. You could create clocks that are ticking down. That would be super fun for yeah. a thing. Like, I could be, I could see running a campaign where I just have four clocks that are every time something happens, just moving them closer, right? One's moving slower than the other. I don't know. Um, you can also do it where you have an agenda, right? And you plot it out almost like Monster of the Week. Here are the five steps that are going to happen, like like big, big world-changing events. Um, so I think I think just just realize that it, it's important to create a world where you can just have fun with the players and they can have some agency and, and they're not always shunted that they have to do the next thing in this order. Yeah, totally. So thank you, Andreas. That was a, I hope I said your name right. That was a, an amazing, a great question. Um, and thank you for the lovely emails that you've all been sending in. We love hearing about how you're all playing and and your table. And and we love being able to uh, explore some of these and, and sometimes sort of ourselves start to be like, well, well, how do we do this? Yeah. And that's a lot of the conversations that we've been having lately is, you know, we do something like this, but haven't put a name to it. It's just a thing that we do. So now it's to sit down and and put it on a piece of paper and say, well, this is the process that I use. It's an actual thing. It's not just me sitting down, scrawling down notes and then to pass that on to you. Hopefully you take something from it. So send us an email. DM to GMcast at gmail.com with your questions so that we can answer more of your questions. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter and Discord. Links are down in the description. And until then, get your game started.
the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. How much do you know about cryonic preservation? Cryonic preservation. The preservation of human beings at extreme low temperature. You mean like like uh, Walt Disney? No, I swear to God, if you say anything about Walt Disney's frozen head, I'm hanging up this phone right now. Swear to me, you've never heard of the Red Valley Seabolt until I just told you. I swear. You swear? Could you take your hand off my knee? Look, Warren, if they're sending the butter wouldn't melt new boy looking for Red Valley, it'll be for a reason. Trust me. People are losing their lives in this company. We pulled him out too soon. He is awakening exactly as we planned. He's dying on me! We're all murderers here. Bryony, you, me, that doorman probably. Guy on the corner there with a the neck tattoo. I bet he's killed someone. Would you like to cut his head off? I'm sorry. The saw is funny. Gordon, why are you sharing this stuff with me? Why are you smiling? I don't know. I smile when things get awkward. Get in your golden bullet, pick me up. You want to go to Red Valley? You want to go to Red Valley? Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley is available on all podcast providers. Do you want to continue?